Eric Roberts is a fucking man He's the greatest fucking actor since acting began We should give him every medal, every trophy and award He's the greatest fucking actor that you've ever seen or ever heard It's episode number 26 of the podcast your mother warned you about. It's Eric Roberts is the fucking man, the highest and lowest rated Eric Roberts focused podcast in the world. I'm Doug Tilly. And with me, as always, is the always matrimonial Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Am I always matrimonial? Yeah, you are. Or at least at the moment, you are, Liam. Now, I don't want to give too much away to our listeners who might be trying to track you down, perhaps because of your opinions on a previously discussed movie. But you are... Well, you are married. Is this true? Yes, I am married. You are married. That Okay. But you are marrying a second person? Is this... Am I understanding <laughs> No. So I live in Pennsylvania. And oh, it's legal there, is it? <laughs> <laughs> in Pennsylvania, uh, they have a... You can get married without an officiant. You don't need anyone there who's ordained in any way. It's they, mm-hmm. they just call it a Quaker marriage. It's just an extra five bucks. And you get a contract, and you just sign it, and you're married. So we did that for the healthcare purposes. Now, I know you don't know this, but unlike where you live in America, not too long ago, someone like me with type 1 diabetes, I could just die because fuck me. But mm-hmm. uh, my wife had, or at the time, my girlfriend had health care. And so we were already engaged at that point. So we did like the legal marriage. And then we're like, oh, we'll we'll get married officially, like in a wedding ceremony, probably in the next couple months. And now, right. three years later, we're getting married. You've been swindling <laughs> the government for three years. Well, no. So what what ended up happening was we, I was trying to get healthcare through her job, and then we uh-huh. got married, and then they said no. So she, so oh. she got a new job, and that's why we live in oh. Easton and not in Philadelphia. Yeah, this. I think if everyone listens to every episode of Eric Roberts is a Fucking Man, they'll be able to piece together your familial history. By the way, Liam, unlike the view of Canada that you have, where it's some sort of fairyland where everything gets paid for, uh, diabetes medication actually isn't covered by our free health care. Wait, it's so, not covered? Uh, no, it is not. That's my wife, is, my wife is diabetic, and she has to uh, pay for it. Uh, she actually just recently got a job that has a drug plan, which I'm very happy about, because it is very, very expensive, as you know. Oh, man. Now, <clears throat> I'm glad. this is an issue we should really get into. I'm glad you told me this because now I can finally knock Canada down a peg. You, I don't, I don't actually have any Canadian insults. This is my problem. I got to work on something. Yeah, you really should. Also, you know, uh, dental isn't covered. Um, optometrist visits are not covered. Most shit is not covered. Oh. I know. This is sounding less and less real... sexy. Yeah, I know. Also, it's still really hard to move here. I know that, too, because my wife is from the United States of America, your country. You are such a turncoat on your own nation, by the way. What do you mean by I that? I would never marry a Canadian. I, what? I'm a Canadian. <laughs> no, Canada is still the greatest nation, of course. But you have to stop talking now. 
because we have a guest with us, as per usual, on Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. However, not as per usual. It's someone different than the other episodes. You may know today's guest as a writer, director, film programmer, and podcaster. He's the co-host of the Loose Cannons podcast and editor of FilmTrap.com. Is Justin DeClue. How are you doing, Justin? I'm doing very well. I like the assumption that people will know who I am. I was just nodding. Oh, I was yeah. like, yeah, that's right. Well, I like to give a good build-up before I do the introduction. On our most recent episode, we had a guest by the name of Dave Cave, who was wonderful. He is a comedian from Lindsay, Ontario. And I said that everyone would know him from his one-man show, which he's only performed twice. And he said there was only like a, not, a, not a huge <laughs> number of people in those, in those performances. But hey, people know, right? People are going to listen to this because they want to hear what you have to say. So how are you doing today, Justin? I am doing very well. Thank you for asking. And it, it's been a pleasure to have uh, Justin on. Boy, that sounded like I was about to end the conversation <laughs> oh, as opposed to the beginning. Sorry. <laughs> it's a, it is a pleasure to have Justin on. I've known Justin uh, tangentially for a number of different years. And certainly we, uh, we share a lot of, uh, of common uh, friends and people of interest. Justin, when I say that you are a writer, director, film programmer, and podcaster, which of those is your central focus? What do you? What is your passion in regards to all these filmic things? I have to pick only one. Well, probably uh-huh. directing is my favorite thing, uh, followed by writing and film programming. But I like to do them all. If okay. someone wanted okay. to pay I... me for one of those things, I'd be like, yes, you can pay. You can pick one, and you can pay me for to do that one thing. I didn't mean to make it a Sophie's Choice type situation, but if someone wanted to see something that you directed, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, they can go to YouTube and they can search Uh my name, Justin the Clue, and there'll be a bunch of short films that I directed there. Uh, I remember seeing one of your short films, Justin the Clue. Pardon? I saw one of your short films. Did you? Yeah, I did. I think so. Boy, I hope I'm not getting this wrong. I think you directed something for when Edgar Wright did his Wright Stuff Film Festival. Yes, I did. Am I wrong? That's what you would have seen, yep. And I did see that in the presence of Mr. Edgar Wright. He did. He was very nice about it. When he came out afterwards, he was like, it's like seeing my life flashing before my eyes and the works of <laughs> Sam Raimi, Peter Jackson. And I was like, oh, it's only uphill from here. That was like six years ago. <laughs> Justin, what do you know about Eric Roberts? Uh, he's a great actor. He is a very great actor. Okay. He doesn't have much... Um, control, I would say. Um, I was looking through his IMDb going like, man, Eric Roberts, I like Eric Roberts. He must have had like a really good beginning of his career and then it kind of stumbled. And he didn't Mm -hmm. even have that much of a crazy good beginning of his career before you're like, what are these movies? (laughs) As soon as like the end of the 80s hit, it starts to get a little wobbly very quickly. Mm -hmm. And I was like, man, I loved him in Dead or Alive. I wonder what he was doing around then. Nothing. <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be answering that question on today's oh show. <laughs> uh, but it's interesting because of the movies that we will be covering today. It really gives you that, you know, 90s, early 90s, early 2000s, and where he was in his career during those two time periods. Justin, what's your favorite Eric Roberts performance? Probably Runaway Train. That's really easy. Uh, was yeah. he Academy Award nominated for that performance? He was nominated for an Academy yeah, Award. Yeah, I really like him. When I think of Eric Roberts, I think of two kind of acting styles. There's like the dumb Eric Roberts. If uh-huh. Train, and like the sleazy Eric Roberts from something like By the Sword. Yes. Boy, that's giving away what he's like in that movie. <laughs> no, but you're right. You're absolutely 100% right. And honestly, I think he plays that dumb role so well. 
But one of the problems with a lot of the movies that he's been in over, say, let's let's say the last 20 years or so, is those performances, because he's usually the biggest name in a lot of those casts, they don't feel, I don't think they would ever cast him in that kind of um, hick or dumb shit type role mm-hmm. again. And he's so good at it. It's a bit of a shame, actually. I mean, I got really excited when I saw he was in... Um in the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson movie, Inherent Vice, and he's in it for mm-hmm. only two shots. Yeah, but he got a poster. He did. He got he his did. own poster. <laughs> Believe me, even now people are regularly on Twitter sending uh, messages to me to say, hey, did you know that Eric Roberts was in The Dark Knight? <laughs> oh, my God. Probably every day, I feel. <laughs> even more than that, did you know Eric Roberts is the brother of Julia Roberts? Have we, have we ever, have you guys ever cracked why Eric Roberts was in The Dark Knight? Like, I like to imagine Christopher Nolan is just a fan. I like to think so. It's funny because you have him in The Dark Knight and you have Tom Berenger in Inception, mm-hmm. right? And these are actors that I kind of, I kind of uh, catalog them together in the sort of uh, heights of the 80s, early 90s, and then kind of a dakota style slide yeah. like i like michael j white is in the dark knight too it's either christopher yeah. nolan is like a big fan of like the 90s or like dtv he's like man i love michael j white in undisputed too i'm gonna cast him in the dark knight tiny lister is in the dark yeah. Knight, right and in very memorable role and of course tiny lister's film uh debut was in runaway train with mr eric roberts and of course he also appeared in brian michael stoller's first dog (laughs) with Eric Roberts. It's a long, wonderful history. We have to now take a break away from talking about Eric Roberts so we can talk about Eric Roberts on the latest Roberts Report. Ah, yes, the Roberts Report for episode number 26. Not a lot of exciting Eric Roberts news this week, I would say, at least compared to the last go-around when I was able to announce what the uh, five favorite movies of Eric Roberts was. And, of course, Liam also let us know what his five favorite movies were. Do you want to change any of those picks, Liam? Oh, man. I would like more time to think about it. Well, you are not going to be given that. Here's a little bit of news from ScreenDaily.com. New image touts The Circus... Day of the Dead is the title of this article, but it doesn't matter. This actually, by the way, is talking about another remake of Day of the Dead, and it sounds just awful, just like the previous one was. But uh, what's interesting is within this article, they talk about, um, at at Cannes this year, they're showing a promo for The Institute, which is a movie directed by Mr. James Franco, who directs and stars in it alongside Tim Blake Nelson, the great Tim Blake Nelson, Scott Hayes, Pamela Anderson, Topher Grace, Josh Duhamel, and one Mr. Eric Roberts. That's right, James Franco directing Eric Roberts in a dark story which centers on a rich young girl with anxiety problems who checks herself into a clinic where the doctors have sinister plans. Hey, worldwide rights are available. Uh, Justin, if you had the opportunity, would you purchase the rights to the Institute and distribute it? Yes, but I would make it a deal that Eric Roberts needs to star in the movie. I want more starring think- Roberts. That's, that's my passion. I- I can't agree more. And also, James Franco, I think that guy's ego can can take the hit <laughs> of just directing this, this go-around. But have you always wanted to see, Justin, Eric Roberts and Pamela Anderson acting together? I don't know if the screen can handle it. It'll just burn right out of the projector. <laughs> I expect that to be the case. Are you looking forward to the Institute, Liam? I think so. I mean... Are you, are you suffering from James Franco burnout? <laughs> 
No, I, I've only managed to catch a couple of James Franco-directed d- uh, films, and they were a mixed bag. So now I don't know, and and I'm not too interested in uh, very accurate Faulkner representations. That's not actually up my alley, so I haven't checked right. those out either. So when I hear about this, I guess my excitement is that people will be stoked on an Eric Roberts movie. Like It seems like there's a there's an audience or a fan base for James Franco as a director. So I like the idea of like, oh, a movie that has Eric Roberts and Pamela Anderson in it might actually get seen by people. So that's kind of cool. It could be on a cinema screen. Yeah. I really <laughs> doubt that. <laughs> oh, well, hey, now. hey, it might be featured on Netflix, though. Mm. Look, anything if you put a little bit of money behind it, can be shown on a cinema screen. To prove that, our next article is talking about Frank D'Angelo's Sicilian Vampire, which is starting an exclusive screening this week, and I'm talking about this week, starting on Friday, May 13th, in Brooklyn, New York. Yes, this not-to-be-missed exclusive opportunity gives the New Yorker film-loving public its first chance to see one of the most talked-about festival films of the year, on the big screen, what do you know, Justin? Because you're a Torontonian. What do you know about Frank D'Angelo? Everything I've learned about Frank D'Angelo, I've been taught by my friend Will Sloan, who oh, I yes. do a podcast <laughs> with. And Frank D'Angelo is an insanely fascinating figure who is a drink mogul, filmmaker, mm-hmm. restaurant owner, and lounge singer. Uh, once you hear his version of Liver Let Die, you'll just forget. <laughs> The original. Um, <laughs> and if you write about Frank D'Angelo on the internet, you will get dozens of people commenting that the guy is crazy, he's a hack, they hate him. It's it's insane. He's a controversial figure, I'll say. <laughs> I, am I right in assuming that he's in the mob or somehow related to the mob? Or can, cannot no, I, on that. I don't think we could certainly say that he's in the mob, Liam O'Donnell. The Toronto mob. <laughs> but, I mean, I, he he certainly has money, uh, or at least enough money to get a star-studded cast, including James Caan, Daryl Hannah, Paul Sorvino, the late Robert Loggia, Armand Asante, Robert Davey, Michael Paré, and Eric Roberts. Wow. Together, including himself, by the way. He's also in the cast. Frank D'Angelo, uh, energy jink mogul, friend of Ben Johnson. Uh, you keep your eyes and ears out for Sicilian Vampire. Have you any ever seen a Frank D'Angelo movie, Justin? Oh, yes. I've seen No Deposit, which is a Frank D'Angelo masterpiece, which also has a star-studded cast. And supposedly the way that he gets these casts is he pays them in cash. Uh-huh. They work like one day, and the movies are shot in a total of five days. I mean, I have to say, I admire his efficiency. <laughs> well, we're not going to say that these movies are to funnel cash and, you know, dodge taxes or anything we, like we that. Would not say we would not that say he's that. definitely doing that. Of course not. He's oh, wait, we're, so wait, we're not saying that? No, I'm, we're not. I'm so confused. We, we couldn't possibly say that he's doing that. It would be a lie. Mm. It would be uh, something that we're absolutely not sure is happening. It's possible. We're not saying it. I mean, but he wrote a book, uh, his autobiography called Being Frank. That you can actually buy in yeah. bookstores in Toronto. That sounds like a legitimate businessman to me. He is a legitimate businessman. I think if you can take away anything from this podcast and our discussion about Frank D'Angelo, it's that he's a legitimate businessman. <laughs> <laughs> Recently on the Eric Roberts Twitter feed, he gave us an inspirational quote 
from one Mrs. Megan Trainor. Now, uh, Liam, you are a fan of punk music. Uh, do you know much about Megan Trainor? I don't think so. The name doesn't sound familiar. She uh, she is the composer, I guess, or certainly the performer of the well-known pop song, uh, All About That Bass. <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yes. Okay. Now, Justin, do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, I know. There's nothing more punk than All About That Bass. Yes, Terrible. right. Terrible. I figured Liam might not know about it because he's so punk. Uh, but... I, I think it's been in like a million commercials at this point or something. Yeah. I've, I've seen it not – I mean, I haven't heard it in my home because I would never allow such an atrocity, but I've heard mm. the song. It's funny that now you're being very judgmental considering that you didn't even know the performer's name a moment ago. He liked uh, it before she was cool, like the original yes. album. Let's, let's clarify. Uh, you like those deep cuts? The, <laughs> the number of performers who I don't know but yet still judge, uh, you couldn't fit them in a stadium. Yeah, I suppose that's true. You should hear her B-side cover of My War. <laughs> 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 but anyway, Eric Roberts on his Twitter feed, he wrote... A quote we believe in from Megan Trainor: "Be comfortable in your jeans," and uh, that's spelled G-E-N-E-S. And he he says, "You amaze us, Mrs. Trainor." So he's a fan of Mrs. Megan Trainor. So maybe you should uh, investigate her career, Liam, and maybe you'll develop the respect for her that Eric Roberts has. Well, why don't you send me her rare shit on Seven Inch, and I'll check it out. Oh, I will do that. <laughs> no, no worries there. Recently, I was in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, uh, for a live performance of Comedy Bang Bang, the popular podcast. Uh, and I'm only bringing this up because during that performance, there was a mention of Eric Roberts, which was, <laughs> which might have been the most surreal thing that's happened to me in recent memory. It's not because, I mean, obviously there was no, it was not for my benefit. However, for that one moment, it felt like it was, and also because of the people I was with at the time. Five different people all turned to stare at me while it was happening during this performance as if I somehow willed it into being. You don't hear a lot of Eric Roberts mentions in the wild, so I was very glad to have experienced it in person. Would it have been that shocking if Eric Roberts himself just stepped out onto stage? There was a moment (laughs) where we thought, hey... That could have happened. <laughs> and it, it was just because they, they uh, filmed Suits, I think, in Toronto. So it's possible he could have walked onto stage and done some sort of a comedy routine in front of me. But that is too surreal for me to even think about. I should also mention briefly, since we mentioned it on the most two recent episodes of the show, I did finally, Liam O'Donnell, see Green Room. Oh, yeah, yeah. What'd you, I, you liked it, right? You're a fan. I'm a fan. I liked it very, very much. Um, uh, about... Uh, two minutes after the movie ended, my wife leaned over to me and she said, I didn't know it was going to be so violent. <laughs> I leaned back. I said, oh, I did. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, I, I thought it was uh, very intense. I have a uh, this isn't a very interesting story, but I'll say it anyway. About 14 <laughs> minutes before the end of the movie, like really near the end of the entire movie, a hilariously drunk man wandered into the theater where we were seeing it. And he was one of those – he was like, like – you know who Foster Brooks is? He was like a comedian who his whole, gi- his whole gimmick was just pretending to be drunk all the time. That was this guy. It was like he was a cartoon character of a drunk guy. And he's like wandering and burping and literally and just coughing like his fucking lungs out. And he's wandering and he sits in the front row and he looks up at the screen and he just coughs and coughs. And he sees like Patrick Stewart and he just sees some people like a neo-Nazis running around. And then two minutes later, he stands up and just wanders out of the fucking theater. (laughs) 
So that I'm sure his review might not have been as positive as mine. Recently added to the ever-expanding Eric Roberts IMDb profile is 2016's Hometown Hero, directed by Matt Schwartz and Dave Lugo. The plot involves a journey into the mind of an Afghanistan war vet as he struggles with PTSD and white supremacists, speaking of Green Room, attempting to force him from his home. Uh, I bring this movie up not only because it was recently added to the Eric Roberts IMDb profile, but also it features Eric Roberts as the interestingly named Gunnar Hansen. <laughs> now, uh, I don't know why he's called that in the movie. <laughs> is he playing Gunnar Hansen? That'd now, that amazing. is amazing, perfect question to ask, Justin. I don't know if he's playing the late, the now late actor, or maybe they had cast Gunnar Hansen in the role before he passed away. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, or I guess I mean you have to because it seems like it's a very dramatic movie from the the description and also because it's in the category of drama on IMDb. But I think he just happens to have the name of the actor who played Leatherface in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. So uh, that's going to be very distracting if I ever end up seeing that movie. And of course I will. And why is that, Liam? We took a blood oath. We took a blood oath to watch every Eric Roberts movie television show. And potentially podcast. <laughs> and that will happen eventually. And in fact, Liam, I'm in the process of trying to find a respectable guest for us to watch the first four episodes of Celebrity Rehab. Ugh. What, why, <laughs> why did that elicit a ugh? I, reality TV, come on, man. We've already watched, oh, actually, I guess that, that was before your time, Liam, but I've already watched my share of reality programming for this podcast. Oh no! The first episode I was ever on was that uh, the ghost, the celebrity the ghost. ghost story one. That was the worst. <laughs> that was not a good way to get started. <laughs> so you say. Well, that's all the Eric Roberts news for this week. We're going to take our first break, but when we return, we're going to be talking about one movie and then another. Why don't you tell us what those movies are, Justin? Well, we're going to be watching By the Sword, which is, like you said, a fencing sports drama about uh -huh. revenge forgiveness, and maybe a little bit of romance. And maybe. then we're going to watch Raptor, a Raptor movie mm -hmm. <laughs> about revenge, forgiveness, and maybe a little bit of romance. It was released at the height of Raptor Fever 2 in uh, 2001. <laughs> it was released so... at the height of Carnosaur Fever. Yeah. <laughs> Utilize that to make the best film they could. We're going to be talking about utilizing footage a lot once we get to Raptor. Let's take our first break. And when we return, 1991's fencing classic, By the Sword.
For those of you not alive in 1991, you might be hard-pressed to believe that fencing was the most popular spectator sport in the country. Everybody, it's, it, fencing fever was sweeping the United States of America. Everyone was talking about how great fencing is. So they decided that they would make a movie about fencing, and that movie ended up being By the Sword from 1991, featuring Eric Roberts and F. Murray Abraham. Yes, our two favorite male leads finally clashing their swords together. Uh, the plot itself is uh, fairly perfunctory, but Eric Roberts is the uh, head of a fencing school, uh, and he uh, encounters a mysterious man, Suba, played by F. Murray Abraham, who has a uh, also mysterious past, who gets a job at the academy, kind of just as a janitor, but obviously has some fencing experience and skills. They have a history that they share together that becomes uh, that, that becomes revealed as the movie goes on. And of course, they have a final fencing confrontation at the end. There's also a lot of other characters, including one played by Mia Sara, who really doesn't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> and a lot of other, like, there's all these other characters who get a lot of development, but not for any particular reason. That said, I want to hear what everyone thought of By the Sword. And since Justin is our guest, let's start with you. What did you think of the movie, Justin? Well, you know, the thing about fencing is there's nothing more boring to watch. You uh -huh. usually go like, why? I'd rather be watching just like a sword fight than this. Oh, yes. Than people <laughs> just tapping themselves. But you know what? I really enjoyed By the Sword. I have to mm -hmm. say, I'm a big fan of sports dramas, even though that this one doesn't really utilize that structure very much. And I was engaged. There's a little bit of mystery. You're like, why is F. Murray Ab Abraham around here? <laughs> because Eric Roberts killed his father? Did someone else kill someone else's father? Right. What are these flashbacks that we're seeing? They're like weird psychedelic shot in front of a green screen, medieval knights fighting. <laughs> Uh, I was never bored, which is something that's very important for me when I watch a movie. And it ends with a really fun sword fight. It does end with a great, violent sword fight. Mm -hmm. uh, but as you mentioned, Justin, sword fighting uh, using these, you know, everyone is is totally protected. Somehow they managed to get a, a, a sword-related injury into this movie that looks like it was very unlikely to happen, but they did manage to fit one in about three-quarters of the way through, and it's mostly just to show how one character, he's so committed, he doesn't care who he hurts along the way. Uh, and that's the lesson learned, is that, hey, you can be the best sword fighter in the world, the best fencer, but also be a pretty decent guy, as long as you go to jail for 20 years. Liam! <laughs> Spoiler alert. Liam, what did you think of By the Sword? I think I, I definitely liked it. I, I enjoyed it. It wasn't as you as it was already said. It wasn't boring. I also really like. There was something about it like that uh, late eighties, early nineties New York thing going on. Like right. New York is the one place where you know you're joking about fencing, and it is kind of ridiculous to have this movie where there's all these young people <laughs> fighting to be the best fencers. Because I'm I'm kind of like, who are these people, and why do they care so much about fencing? Like I don't understand. But then putting it in New York with these uh, characters, some some of the I just showed up in town and I don't know what's going on. And some of the like, I'm from the streets, but now I'm in this like new world of fencing. And right. there's like all these sort of uh, uh, <clears throat> caricatures that you would see in a late 80s, early 90s movie set in that kind of New York. But then part of me is kind of like, well, where else would you set a movie about a fencing school? Like, yeah, right. you know what I mean? Like, no, no, nobody in like St. Louis is like, yeah, I'd 
I'm 20 something and all I do is fence. Like that doesn't happen. Like New York is the one place you could imagine being in a bar and someone being like, believe it or not, I fence. And you'd be like, oh, okay. All right, that makes sense. Okay. It is the kind of niche subject yeah. matter that you're right. Could only really take place in a certain number of of cities, right? Maybe like France or something like that. Do they do they uh, fence in France? You think they would? That seems like something that a French person would do. Yeah, well, I'm, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure in Europe there's like a national fund to support every sport that should have died a long time ago. Like yeah. there's some like taxes are supporting it, even though no one cares anymore. Wow, look at you. <laughs> yeah, jeez. I'm just libertarian over here. (laughs) Oh no! Don't get me wrong. And I think that's a brilliant idea because otherwise you miss out on some really crazy, awesome things that should be supported just because they're weird and neat. But in in the context of this movie, the two things that really so I I I come in being like, oh, I I liked it. I was surprised at how much I liked it. I actually thought a movie about fencing would like maybe not bum me out, but just be not engaging. However, the two aspects that really, in retrospect got under my skin was one the green screen flashbacks like at first i was like oh the flashbacks they're they're interpretive they're you know they're clearly not literal whatever but there's so many of them and they're so just awkward i don't know something about them really got under my skin after the first like two one thing that's uh, important to note before you get on to the other thing that annoyed you liam is that one of the posters i think maybe the major poster for by the sword has a big like broadsword and uh and medieval knight like helmet on it. <laughs> How disappointed were like twelve year olds went to go see the movie? They're like, yeah, yeah, let's get some Excalibur action on here. By the sword, that sounds awesome. Especially I, like with Eric Roberts, like you would think like maybe it's an best action of the movie. best Eric Roberts. Yeah, it's like best of the best with swords, <laughs> and it's and it's not even like. Okay, so it's a fencing movie. So you you know if they were if they wanted to tantalize teenagers, it could have been a fencing movie with drug use or a fencing movie with oh they also fight on the side or it's in the right yeah, something. But there's a lot of fucking there's fencing and there's uh, people in their middle age still trying to like have a romantic life. Oh, and I then, love that. Yeah, and then there's just a tiny bit of like these young people. But this this hits on my other thing. There are too many characters who I was expected to really identify with who then <laughs> nothing happens in their lives. And at first, I kind of like that because some movies, you need like a satisfying ending to everyone's story and, and it gets, you know, kind of trite. So at first, I kind of was like, oh, you know, they're just going to wrap it up. But the more I thought about it, I'm like, why did I have to know so much about so many characters who don't like you learn about the assistant coach? And all he does is, like, help a guy who got stabbed in the leg. Like, he, you know, he does some training and that's it. Like, why are there so many characters with so many arcs going on at the same time? They Uh, don't all have arcs. Like, the assistant coach is only there to show that you don't need to be number one. Sometimes you just settle down and have kids. And that's the real life. (laughs) Yeah. That's exactly it. And also, but, but I do see what you're saying, Liam, because we do spend a lot of time with the number one swordsman, the the guy who wants to go to nationals or whatever the fuck it is. And we spend a lot of time with Mia Sarah's character who's new to this uh, uh, fencing school. And they're supposed to give us like perspectives uh, on those kind of different levels of talent. Um, but aside from them fucking and eventually fighting and her costing i guess costing him is i don't really i don't think anyone's going to nationals after that final fight no. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, I, I, this movie should have been about breakdancing. <laughs> like you could have had the exact same plot for the most part <laughs> with F. Murray Abraham, who was like, he was kicking it old school in 1981 and he comes back after being in jail. And that is, by the way, uh, F. Murray Abraham Suba's mysterious past is that he was in jail because he murdered Eric Roberts' father in a confrontation which I think I understand, but that I now need Justin to explain to me. Justin, he killed his father. Yeah, so he killed Eric Roberts' father after F. Murray Abraham, who was uh, Eric Roberts' father's uh, star pupil. Right. Eric Roberts' father defeated F. Murray Abraham in a fight. And then F. Murray Abraham picked up the sword and just stabbed Eric Roberts' father (laughs) in the back, killing him. Because he was so competitive. (laughs) I don't... No, no, no. I think you guys actually have it wrong a little bit. What do you mean, you guys? I didn't necessarily agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I mean, I don't. I didn't get the feeling it was just about competition. I think it was the humiliation of it as well, because he has his Eric Roberts' father has the practice sword, and he gives F. Murray Abraham the sharp, deadly sword to sort of right. prove the fact that he sucks. And then he specifically says that he beats the shit out of him with the practice sword. So he doesn't just win. He, like, physically harms him, which, looking at those wussy swords is, like, y- you know, that seems maybe <laughs> possible, but it's possible. Like, you can really whip those fucking things. So he basically whips this kid, and I get the feeling, like, looking at his age, he's what, when this happens, 18, 19? Sure. He basically whips a 19-year-old kid within an inch of his life and then turns his back like, yeah, fuck you, kid. And then the right. kid, like... It's just pissed that he stabs him with a sword. If this if this incident had happened with a practice sword, Eric Roberts' dad would be alive. But it's his dumbass fault for giving him the sharp sword in the first place. Now, I made the mistake of uh, delving into the IMDb comments of By the Sword. Why? <laughs> yeah. And, and one of the uh, things that they mentioned in their interpretation of what happened was that F. Murray Abraham's character as an 18-year-old or whatever was uh, fucking Eric Roberts' mom. Really? Yes. Now, did anyone get the sense that that was happening? Eric Roberts accuses him of that. That's one of the things he says. But I got the feeling in F. Murray Abraham's telling of the story that that's not that is not what was happening. Don't you think it would be great if (laughs) Eric Roberts ended up? No, I guess it would have been difficult for. Well, he could have been. F. Murray, F. Murray Abraham's kid if they'd been fucking for a long time, right? They kind of imply that the kid is like 8, 10 years old. Mm, well, maybe instead of being 18. I mean, <laughs> F. Murray Abraham in this movie is what? 84? <laughs> 84. Uh, I got to feel like he's like 40. Like, he's not that old. All right, we need to find a nickname for F. Murray Abraham so we don't have to say his name every time. Like, Suba! Suba, there you go. Salieri! <laughs> I actually checked. I'm like, he must have been in Amadeus uh, right before this. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> by the sword. <laughs> Wonderful makeup work. There's a great scene in this movie where Suba, uh, play- played by F. Marie Abraham, <laughs> is uh, he's he's cleaning up this uh, sword school. Uh, it's you think it would be pretty clean, by the way. I mean, I understand like the locker rooms would get dirty, but everyone's wearing these like clean suits. That probably is not a big job that he has. Anyway. So he's like climbing the stepladder so he can wash a window, and he's up at the top of it, and uh, he obviously shouldn't be, and then he falls off it like a fucking idiot, and then he gets really, really angry at Eric Roberts and tells him that he should buy better ladders. <laughs> he's got he's angry. 
he has a fire in his belly that he needs to calm because he also he also meets a 40-year-old and they go on a date and he decides to break the ice by saying he just got out of jail. So that's he I, wants to be honest. I mean, it's got to come up at some point, I guess. Not that he just got out of jail that he murdered a man. That's <laughs> right. He goes to jail. But they never he never explains it like he just says like, "Yeah, I killed a guy." And she's like, "All right." Yeah, you would right. be like, "What? Why? What happened?" Well, yeah. my, my husband's dead, so I need someone who can be a plumber. So that's how this is going to work out. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there's also a scene in this movie where F. Murray Abraham is trying to teach the younger pupils. He eventually becomes a teacher at the school uh, because Eric Roberts recognizes that he has a lot of talent, and he <laughs> he's listening to terrible music in his apartment, <laughs> and he decides that you know what, the beat of this music will help the students fence better so he decides to play terrible music at the school and it works they become great fencers because they're doing it to the beat i think that he's playing like gloria stefan or some shit it sounds absolutely terrible what did you think of that liam i mean it's it's an embarrassing scene because at no point do they actually like move to the beat like that's the whole point right is that he can't get them to move together and so he gets them to move to the beat so that they get you know more confident in their poses and stuff and until the scene where they do the full dance routine but just when he's trying to get them at first he's like all right you're doing it to the beat it's actually off the beat like i I feel like they must have been playing a different song on the set than what's on the soundtrack because it's not even close well let's check out the year 1991 so they were probably playing Ugly Kid Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Something along those lines. <laughs> Justin, what do you think of Mia Sarah? Um, she struggles with a New York accent. She's I'll tell you though, it's the first time that I've ever heard her try an accent outside of now let's see. What's the movie? Is it is not Lady Hawk, is it Legend that she's in? Legend. Yeah, she's in Legend. She's in Legend. Does she do a British accent in Legend? She must. I don't remember. Legend you think is... that she would try that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is the first time I remember her doing an accent. And yes, Justin, you are 100% right. She does struggle with it. But what else do you think? Um, she's pretty. I mean, her, there's not much to her character other than to be oh. beaten down. And at the end, rise up and save the day because she's short. She has sex with a bad boy. She does. Who, who charms mul- her right off the top by just dropping some truth bombs and telling That's right. it like it is. He tells it like it is. And I was before we started recording, I was talking to uh, Liam about this. There's a scene where uh, post-coital, the couple are laying in bed. And uh, you hear the, the gentleman's parents like fighting really loudly in the other room. And he starts talking about how uh, his father is a fencer of a different sort. <laughs> <laughs> in that he, he like steals shit and sells it. Uh, and I just thought it was so funny that I guess New York in like 1991, you could come, you could be like this poor kid from a broken home, and in like your, you spend all your time fencing in this exclusive club. I guess I mean I, that's the story I wanted to see. Like they it's, don't go to re- school, it seems. Like yeah, right. Always yeah. fence this fucking guy. Well, and they're paying to be. This is the other thing I don't understand. Because at first I thought, oh, it's like an academy, so they're getting a stipend to be fencers but then there's multiple comments about what am i paying for and i'm like <laughs> wait you're paying to be there what do you do with your life what is going on right now it also seems to be a full-time job just training there so how do they raise that money a lot of questions left by by the sword uh but it's interesting i think all three of us agree we all liked the movie why is that do you think like what is it about this sort of structure this sort of of um 
I don't know if you. I guess it is a revenge element. There is the ro- romance element, as as you pointed out, Justin. Liam, why did we like this movie? It has a lot of Eric Roberts in it. Ah, so much Eric Roberts. I mean, I think for me that was uh, key number one. It has a lot of Eric Roberts, and it has him in his. I mean, you you could say this is his scumbag character, but mm-hmm. it's a it's a little bit imperious. You know, like some of his scumbag characters are like real gritty, just that's gr- right, gross. And this guy, this sort of like. I'm above everything. Like he's dirty. Like he definitely is like, you know, rules are for plebeians and, you know, (laughs) cheating doesn't count. It's fine. Like, it's not like he's like, uh, honorable, but he is a little bit like, I don't know, above everything. And something about that Eric Robertson, that role role was compelling for me. I think I also, uh, was a little seduced by the variety of stories going on with the students. Sure. And, And it was only, even though that helped me enjoy the whole movie, it was only at the ending that I was kind of like, wait, so we had to watch all these kids become, <laughs> you know, they're not even great fencers. They're like better than mediocre fencers just so you guys could have this awesome. And the fight is awesome. Like I'm not, I'm not dissing the fight at all, but they could have just had the fight and we didn't need to know anything about any of these people. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't actually help. I think them get to the fight. The fight is just the fight. It seems like separate from that. Right. And in fact, their story kind of, you, it's hard to tell what is the kind of central story. And then it becomes very clear at yeah. that point. Um, I do want to say also that F. Murray Abraham does a very good performance. Yeah. He's a pretty underrated actor, generally. Eric Roberts, I have to be honest, at first I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure about him because you're right. He's playing, he's playing scumbag, but he's playing snooty scumbag, which is a little different. Uh, and also he's got to stay somewhat sympathetic because he's not like, He's not a bad guy. He's not like it's not like a teen sex comedy from the eighties where he's you know he's he's the head of of Snooty High or something like that. He is he's above it all because he's the best and he really does show himself as being the best. But when someone starts to entrench on that, he starts to get a little you know whiny as yeah. he would. Um, let's talk about the ending just quickly before we get to Eric Roberts in a little more detail. Justin, you mentioned it being a great sword fight. Do you feel that the ending of that sword fight is um, satisfactory for this movie? Did it leave you satisfied? Well, the thing about the sword fight is that its motivation is very muddled. Um, (laughs) Now, Eric Roberts, like you mentioned, was being a huge jerk to his students. That is made clear. He's still a little bit sympathetic, but, you know, he's kind of a bad teacher. And F. Murray Abraham gets very insulted by this and then challenges him to a sword fight. Which seemingly is to the death. Yes. And my issue was, what is F. Murray Abraham doing? Like, is he going to defeat him and then prove that he's the best? Is he going to surrender at one point? Like, what is this supposed to achieve? His endgame seemed to be very um, not clear, even after it ended. Yeah, even after it ended. And spoiler, Eric Roberts goes, you know what? I forgive you. And you're like, wait, what? He did not earn this decision, but the end sword fight was very satisfying. Now, I got a little bit excited at the beginning because there's a point where Eric Roberts is demonstrating some sword moves and he does a little jump where he like attacks with his sword behind his back. Yes. And And someone's like, whoa, where did he learn that move? I was hoping for a little bit more of that, but they make up the lack of, I don't know, uh, ingenuity with pure passion and violence. Yeah. Like, they built this set for this uh, fencing school and they destroyed it at the end. I love that part where F. Murray Abraham, uh, playing, of course, the character of um, 
um, Suba. <laughs> Zuba himself. <laughs> he falls down a flight of stairs. <laughs> he just fucking tumbles down it. And it's like, well, I bet he wasn't glad that he went up to that platform before tumbling <laughs> down again. But you're right. They just beat, they have this beautiful room and they just destroy it during their sword fight. And it's great. It is a tremendous sword fight. It probably is one of the better fencing style sword fights I remember. But that does uh, beg the question, Liam, what's your favorite fencing style sword fight? Fencing style sword fight. Shit. I don't I can't I can't uh I'll, I'll admit there's only two that spring to mind for me. Uh, one springs to my mind. What's what spring you... No 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 nobody help him. Okay. <laughs> Fuck. Uh 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 Princess Bride. There you go. That's one. Is that, oh, is that really were... one? That's that's one. Justin, is that what you were thinking of? No, I was No, I bet you were thinking of, of our favorite uh three dragons in Wheels on Meals. Wheels on Meals is a great one as well. Actually, I didn't even think of that one, and that one is a, is a perfect example, especially because the iconic image from that is our three dragons holding those swords. I was thinking Rob Roy. Rob oh, yeah. Roy. Oh, sure, yeah. Tim Roth and, uh, of course, one Liam Neeson in Rob Roy. That, of course, brings us to the topic of the evening, one Mr. Eric Roberts. We, did, we have already talked about his performance to some extent, but this movie is heavy. It's weighed down. <laughs> well, that sounds, sounds bad, actually. It's weighed up by the presence of one Mr. Eric Roberts. Tell us your thoughts about his performance quickly, Liam. I mean, I understand what you were saying a little bit because uh, when he first starts, it's not what I'm used to seeing from him. So I was a little bit like, man, is he going to... It felt like maybe he was going to chew the scenery in a way that was not something I would enjoy because he's he's coming across as very friendly but it's fake friendly and right. very demanding and very you know with high expectations but not getting down into the dirt uh i think his performance is great i think i don't know i i'm a little i i feel a little bit like the character is maybe more dastardly than makes sense for the ending in some ways sure but i don't think that's eric roberts i think he is just living into the material and doing it really well and there are moments where I don't think he's faking it. In the, like, I don't think the character's faking a certain respect for Suba. Is that his name? Suba! Uh, Suba! I think, I think that is... Uh, I think that comes across as there's a legitimate right. uh, appreciation, even as there's a mistrust and suspicion at the same time. So I, don't, I, I, think, I think it's not maybe his greatest or anything like that, but it's a very solid performance for a character that could very easily be a joke or a caricature or something just funny, you know? It's funny how little sympathy he uh, kind of gets from the audience, considering that final fight is between a man and, uh, like, a younger man and an older man who killed that man's father. In almost all other movies, we would be on Eric Roberts' side the whole time, right? Um Justin, what did you think of Eric Roberts in By the Sword? I think that, like a fencing fight, it was very precise. Um, it it was a little difficult for me to uh, hate Eric Roberts in the role because I like Eric Roberts so much. Mm -hmm. So when he was on screen and acting, I'm like, man, I wish Eric Roberts acted in main roles more often. <laughs> and like you said, it's weird because he is, for all intents and purposes, the villain of the picture. Because um, he's mean to his students. He forces people to call him maestro the entire time. <laughs> but at the same time, he's still kind of 
cutting um, F. Murray Abraham breaks every now and then. He gives him a job. Um, and it's just a performance that I very much enjoyed. And that never became that, like, mustache-twirling villain that I expected right. it to be from the first moments. Yeah, it skirts that edge uh, very nicely uh, leading up to that final scene. Justin, since you just described your feelings on Eric Roberts, that does bring us to the very theme of this show, which is whether... In by the duel, by the duel, shit by the sword from 1991. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Is he the fucking man? Oh, he's totally the fucking man in this movie. He's the maestro. Of course he is. He's he's the maestro and the fucking man. Liam, what do you think? He is not only the fucking man, but uh, if F. Murray Abraham wasn't so good, he would steal the whole movie. Well, he he would need to if Murray Abraham wasn't there. Uh, and I will agree with the both of you. Yes, if you are looking for a solid, strong, surprisingly entertaining <laughs> fencing movie, you may enjoy By the Sword from 1991 starring Eric Roberts and F. Murray Abraham. Let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about a slightly different kind of movie. Jim Wynorski's dinosaur attack revenge science fiction classic Raptor from 2001. Let's take a break. We'll be right back. When a series of unexplained vicious animal attacks strikes his community, Sheriff Jim Tanner and his assistant Barbara, sort of, trace them back to a Dr. Hyde, yes, seriously, a former military researcher whose government funding for a dinosaur cloning project was cut. It's dinosaurs. It's Eric Roberts. It's Jim Wynorski. It's 2001's Raptor. Yes, a dinosaur movie from 2001. And hey, you ever seen the movie Carnosaur? Well, if you haven't, you have seen the best parts of it now that you've watched Raptor, which makes great use of footage from the earlier Carnosaur movies, which, of course, came out in the wake of Jurassic Park. And uh, and just like this one, were produced by Roger Corman. I'm going to start, actually, Justin, by asking, why did you make us watch Raptor? So I read a really good review in it, and I think it was in one of those books, DVD Delirium, which if you haven't mm-hmm. read, check out because they're amazing. They're a little dated now because they're all about like they're they're all about specific DVD releases, but I still read my books of them all the time. There's a lot of like movies you've never heard about and the writer is very insightful about them as well. Mm-hmm. So it's an easy recommendation. And it's Jim Wynorski, and I like Jim Wynorski. Yeah. Now, the problem with this director is he doesn't usually make very good movies. And in the last uh 20 years, <laughs> <laughs> He really hasn't made a good one in a long time. But he's a super passionate guy who really likes making movies. Um, Between every Bear Wench project, there's a movie like, um, is it Gilla or Jilla? 
uh it was uh, have you ever heard the like classic movie um it's like the giant gila monster yeah gila monster yeah well uh uh, jim arnorsky made a remake and he actually Mm -hmm. brought some of the cast back who hadn't acted since the original film (laughs) and that's a kind of like little touch that only a really like passionate filmmaker would bring to the projects that he's doing I mean, but then he goes and makes like um, Shark and Saw's Women's Prisons Massacre or something. <laughs> the thing about there was a point in like the mid 90s where Jim Wynorski and Fred Olin Ray were putting out shitloads of genre movies. And they did have, even though they were made very quickly and were made uh, very cheaply, they did have that sense of B movie love to them because of that kind of little bit of extra effort, they'd always cast some sort of familiar genre name, not even like a famous one usually. It would just be like a familiar face to people who really love the genre. And a lot of those movies from that 90s period are pretty entertaining. And um, right before we started recording, Liam was talking about how his love for exploitation movies of the 70s, that your nostalgia kind of wipes away a lot of the cynicism that you might have. But when you're watching something that is from a time as recent as 2001, that cynicism can't help but sort of intrude on your enjoyment. I remember seeing Carnosaur and thinking that it was okay back in like the late 90s. It was violent. It had a stupid dinosaur. That was fine by me. I'm not sure that I was able to maintain that joy when watching Raptor. But that's just me. Liam, what did you think of 2001's Raptor? Ooh. Uh... <laughs> I, I... You, know, you know, Liam, there's a uh, basketball team in Toronto. Yeah, no, called, I'm aware. Called the Toronto Raptors. Hey, they're playing right oh, now. Man. They're playing right now. Uh, something, we the North, I guess. Hashtag. Anyway, I, please continue, Liam. Do, are, are we assuming that Raptors are supposed to actually be describing the dinosaurs we see in this movie? Because, <laughs> I mean, at one point, it's clearly a Tyrannosaurus Rex, but the movie's still called Raptors, but whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean... It, okay, is it? Let's let's we've we've established a baseline here. It's not Dark Moon Rising, so I you know let's let's show some respect where respect is due. Okay, it's not that bad, but this is not my level of enjoyment. Like the acting is painful. I really in the so they it's described as his assistant, but I thought it wasn't his assistant. I thought the no, woman, not his assistant. Yeah, she's like the animal control person. Yeah, who, who also his former. Lover. Yeah, and they almost get back together in this movie, almost, but then it doesn't work out, you know. Uh, I mean, it should have. It seemed like it should have worked yeah, out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, I just she's terrible. I can't with her um, <laughs> at all. Just every moment she's on screen, I'm like, ah, oh, stop talking. I just don't. Uh, I love the. I, okay, so, I, I'm gonna stop you for yeah. A because you're about to fucking drool all over yourself. I really am. Yeah. I, I, I'm, the, the movie was frustrating. Let me leave it at, leave it at that. Let me play a little bit of dialogue sure, from sure. 2001's Raptor. And uh, you, we can hear a little bit about that performance that you were talking about, as well as a brief bit of dialogue from one Mr. Eric Roberts. Barbara, I gotta tell you, I was really worried. If you hadn't come up with that tape recorder idea, who knows when she would have come out of it. Forget it. What worries me more is what you said about that lizard thing she saw. I mean, if she's not mistaken, and I seriously doubt that she is, we're facing some truly new and frightening menace here. This is so weird. You know, for some reason, you're much nicer when you're not trying to act like Mr. Cole. I am? Yeah, you are. (laughs) It's nice to know. Come here. Hmm. 
What do you think? Have I still got it? Not bad for an old guy. An old guy? I get a little gray at the temples and I'm suddenly an antique. Some antiques are highly sought after. Prized possessions. Worth seeking out. Worth bringing in for a nightcap. Barbara. I would love to. Now, that probably sounded like it was going on, I know to both of you, for like three hours. Yeah. <laughs> but it was really only a minute and ten seconds of the dialogue from 2001's uh. Raptor. Yeah, so he says that's a great idea, but he ends up going to investigate this um, other place instead of going in for that nightcap, which was probably a bad idea in the long run because there's a part about three-quarters of the way through this movie where Eric Roberts and this woman, um, who at that point had been the complete focus of the movie, they're pushed to the side, and all these military guys become the main characters for a while. Yep. Listen, they have some footage from Carnosaur 3, <laughs> and they want to use it, so these military guys have to show up. And, and it becomes like super confusing about why you're supposed to give a shit about anything that's happening at all. But I haven't asked you, Justin, what did you think of Raptor? Whoa, I really didn't like this movie. Um, okay. I think it's not Jim I like to think of him as the guy who made um, movies like Chopping Mall or The Lost Empire. Oh, yeah. I just the commentary track for The Lost Empire. And Jim Wynorski talks about how he put everything he had into this movie. And there was even like a joke where an actor from Lassie appears and you hear a dog barking in the background. <laughs> and it's the actual dog from Lassie. And that's the joke, like a little Easter egg. That is not the Jim Wynorski that made Raptor. This is the Jim Wynorski who, like, he needs to make that mortgage payment or he's going to lose the house. It, it's, <laughs> it's to ma- he, he needs to make something. And that I don't Raptor. Yeah, absolutely. It's really strange to see. We were talking about at the beginning, right, the sort of slide in Eric Roberts' career. The thing about By the Sword is, though By the Sword is kind of a strange movie, it's a real movie, mm-hmm. right. you know? It's just a very niche movie. This is the kind of thing where you get Eric Roberts and then you get Corbin Burnson and then you get a bunch of stock footage and reused footage from older movies and sort of piece together something from it. And it's hard to understand why anyone would enjoy this movie, to be totally honest with you. Um, The dinosaurs themselves, which are all practical, um, look awful. I mean, they look really fucking bad. They're not stop motion, which some of you might be thinking. They are all... Uh, there's a couple of scenes where actually I, there's, a, there's a person in a suit, which is fucking. <laughs> I love I love these dinosaurs. I, I'm <laughs> so enamored by a dude in a suit that can barely move. <laughs> like the the thing about these particular uh, appliances or suits is that the necks don't move, right? They're like very yeah. very yeah. static. So every time they're attacking, it's like it's just whacking its whole head at whatever it's attacking. And it looks so, like, uh, solid and statuesque. There, there, there are multiple moments where you just picture someone off screen holding a literal just giant toy dinosaur, just shoving it at someone. Like, act like it hurts. Just, yeah, just <laughs> respond. Yeah, that's good. That looks good. <laughs> but uh but yes yeah, so i didn't really i wasn't really with a lot of the dinosaur attacks but really i think the problem i had mostly with this movie is that there just isn't a lot of momentum to it you're not really invested in the mystery at its core because you know what it is right from the beginning it's really hard to understand why corbin burnson burnson's character who's a mad scientist basically he's dr hyde literally 
Um, and he has a, a project uh, partially funded by Pakistan to clone dinosaurs. And he also is totally evil for a reason that isn't really uh, determined, right? It's just like he it's doesn't about give the a science, sh- Doug. Yeah, it's so much like he doesn't give a shit that these raptors have gotten out and are murdering. Like there is no way it's not going to come back to him. Like it's not. There's no way that they're not going to figure out that hey, this place that used to do. Uh, uh, science experiments about cloning dinosaurs, and now there's a bunch of people being eaten by dinosaurs. Like, they're going to connect those two things together eventually. But he just doesn't seem the least bit concerned. Also, he's dressed up exactly like Ed Harris from The Truman Show. <laughs> I was about to say, I, I you say there's no indication of why he's evil, but the hat did it all. This is, you know, <laughs> this is the early 2000s version of the black hat, right? Like, he's got that backwards kangle on and weird little glasses, and I just thought, oh, clearly he's the villain. Like, look at how he's dressed. Let me tell you something, Liam and Justin, about Corbin Burnson. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know Corbin Burnson has one of the largest collections of snow globes in the world? (laughs) I swear to fucking God, I am not making that up. It's on his Wikipedia page. (laughs) He collects snow globes. That's his deal. He's going to have like his his Citizen Kane moment. And it's going to be like the tragedy (laughs) is going to be the breaking of the snow globe itself. (laughs) But um, Corbin Burnson is an actor whose star has fallen so massively. It's it's almost shocking. Well, well, uh, he's the dad in the TV show Psych, or he was. He was. That's right. He's good. At, honestly, he's hey, a good actor. He's hey, good on LA Law. Hey, he was in Tales from the Hood, and that's all that matters to me. He was in that one episode of Star Trek: The Next Generation. Remember that? Oh Mystic shit! Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he's good. I think I remember in the '90s that he had a reputation for being a complete fucking asshole, uh-huh. and maybe that's why his career turned to shit. But I'm gonna salute Corbin Burnson for. He could. He doesn't slum it in this. I think he's trying. You know, he's he's he wants to give a performance, and uh, that's more than you can say for eh, everyone else. That's not Eric Roberts in this movie. What do you think about Corbin Burnson? Not you, Liam. Let's start with you. <laughs> well, I mean, he's villainous. Like the guy has a persona, and it's you know the two days that he shot this film. And I assume some kind of electrical treatment plan or something like that. He gave <laughs> yeah. it his all. And the fact that the movie ends with him being cloned, <laughs> as if we're so excited to see more of him that they're going to end on this cliffhanger, um, is ridiculous. Uh, yeah, he's probably the most, the one having the most fun in the movie because everyone, other than that woman who has sex, is really just sleepwalking through the role. Yeah. Now we'll get to that sex in just a second. Yes. Liam, what did you what did you think of uh Corbin Burnson? I I I agree that he's having the most fun and he's putting in the effort, but in this movie it almost was too much. Like it felt like he was given so little that the amount of effort he's putting in, like it kind of hurts me. Like I kind of just want him to relax and just back up a little bit and just not be trying so hard for this movie. It, it kind of made me think like, uh, cause I was thinking about well, what's the difference between these two movies, you know, like, uh, you know, <laughs> well, it, it, stuff happens. I mean, cause they're both, they're both bad at what they do. But the way that By the Sword, it, it's kind of like, uh, you know, By the Sword isn't like, you know, Nickelback. It's like, uh, you know, it's like 
it's like that band Travis. You remember that band Travis? Oh, sure. Yeah. Why does it always rain on me? Yeah. <laughs> so Travis, you know, I don't love what, what Travis is, but they're pretty good at what they do. If you Travis, like, if you like, man. if you like Radiohead <laughs> ripoff bands, they're not like as shitty as Coldplay, but you know, they're like not they're better than Muse. Uh, Muse becomes a whole other thing. Let's not get too into this topic. The point is, is that Raptor is like even worse at what it's trying to do. But like, if you have one of these bands, like let's say, let's say Raptor's trying to be like a real rock band and it's more like Creed or some shit, you know what I mean? But like, if you see, like, let's say you go to a bar and there's some like shitty cover band playing, but there's one guy who's like really trying hard to nail his solos, like he's acting <laughs> like he's in the best band ever. It's kind of off-putting, and it's not like they're he's doing a bad job. It's just, yo, man, like chillax. Like that's how I felt about Corbin Burns in his movie. Is like everyone around him is kind of like, yo, is it my turn? Like they don't really know what's happening when they're on camera, but he is like owning it like he's really trying to like make this character come alive and everything that's written for him is terrible like everything he's doing is terrible everything about it uh, so two quick things yeah one is a sequence where one of Corbin Corbin Burnson's bad guy allies he suddenly develops a conscience about what's happening and quits so Corbin Burnson decides that he's going to murder this guy <laughs> in the most Fucking idiotic, like he, and not only idiotic, but transparently evil. It's just like, oh, you gotta leave. Okay, well, before you go, could you walk next to these dangerous laser fence where a fucking dinosaur is there, so we can track something or other? And the guy's like, yo, okay, and he does it, <laughs> and of course he dies. And I was like, I felt sympathy until he went into that room. The other thing I want to mention is, and this is apropos of nothing. Eric Roberts is the sheriff of this town. And he has a sheriff's office, uh, and his uh, his daughter works at this office, which we'll get to in just a second. But there's also this other dude who works there, and uh, not not the not his partner guy, the 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 black guy, which I wish I could come up with a better description than that. But there's another guy in the office, and he gets a little bit of dialogue in this movie, and he's fucking terrible. Like yeah. I don't know what that guy is doing. But he is so bad that I thought it was like the best part of the movie at how because <laughs> he was so clearly trying to be not horrible and he was just the worst so let's talk about sex baby <laughs> uh there is a sequence early in uh what we can only describe as the extended version of raptor from 2001 where eric roberts daughter has sex with a older gentleman in the back of a flatbed of a uh, of a truck back of a truck so they fuck and they fuck. They fuck and they fuck. <laughs> and they do not change positions. This, nope. is, this is cowgirl and it will continue to be. And they fuck. And it gets... it. They fuck for so long that it is impossible for a viewer not to notice. What the... Like, not to watch it and say, like, what the fuck is going on? Like, it gets strange. It gets not just uncomfortable... Because a sex scene that's going on too long like that would get a little uncomfortable. But it gets to the point where you start to think, are they fucking with us? <laughs> like, are, it's like, are they really, are they just, are they, is it looping for one thing? I legitimately think that there was some reused footage. No, with no, the, it the definitely scene. was. It was definitely a loop. And it's, and it goes on for, and I did time it because I wanted to know for sure. It starts 14 minutes and 10 seconds in the movie. And it ends 
21 minutes and 34 seconds. And you might think, oh, you know, five, six minutes, that's not that long for a sex scene. Yeah, it is. It's longer than almost any movie that isn't pornography that you've ever seen. Maybe one of those Skinamax-like movies. No, even those wouldn't just stick on one fucking position for six minutes. It is ludicrous. I I couldn't believe what I was seeing. You just stare at her fake breasts the entire time, waiting for something to happen. Nothing. Like, wow, they're building up to something, right? Wow, they're yeah. building up to him climaxing. That's pretty much it. He comes I, at 2134. <laughs> I legitimately thought for like half a second, I was like, is there something wrong with the movie? Like, is the movie <laughs> stuck? Like, is this a bad recording? Or like, is there a glitch in the Matrix? Am I about to join Neo? Or like, what's going on right now? It, it's, it's, you know, people always talk about gratuitous sex in movies. This sex scene was gratuitous to sex. Like, it was... It was long past the point where anyone, A, is, I mean, let's say you're watching this movie by yourself, you're 15, and you're like, oh, it's the tits part. I'm going to jerk off. <laughs> you're <laughs> done. You're done. It's still going on. And you're sitting there going, what am I? Like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, like, right. It's like <laughs> literally designed to make you feel bad. Everything There's four about... minutes of regret time there <laughs> built in. I mean, the guy, I mean, it's. I really do think it's a loop. He leans back, he moans, she moans, which by the way, her audio does not match her face at all. Like it's clearly overdubbed later. And then he leans up, he kisses her very fake boobs. He leans back and then it's the same shot again. And he leans up again. And I'm like, they do that three to four times. I swear to God, it's a loop of like one minute, 30 seconds, four times. The question is why the movie is like an hour and 35 minutes. I think. Yeah. <laughs> like you could easily clock in at 85 minutes and you're like, all right, this is a movie. Yeah. yeah. So no one's going to miss those those extra 3 minutes of tit grabbing from that fucking section. <laughs> I feel <laughs> like it's I feel like it's the end of Howling 2 where they just keep showing the boobs. Remember that? Uh, <laughs> yeah, where she pops her top off and she's standing It literally felt like, yo, we paid for that girl's boobs. We're going to show them for a full six minutes. And fuck you if you have any bad opinion about it. Yeah, I also Jim Wyronorski, like she really didn't want to get naked and she was embarrassed by the sex scene. She made it very difficult for him. So he was like, well, you know what? Screw her. I'm going to show it for what feels like three hours. Let me let me uh, provide a counterpoint to that potentiality, which is that the actress in question uh, has unfortunately passed away since the making of this movie. She passed away at a very young age, which I knew about before watching the movie and made me very depressed during this particular scene. Her IMDb credits all involve her being naked. And in fact, if you go to her Wikipedia page, there's this quote, or it might even be on the IMDb page, about her winning something like 300 wet t-shirt contests. (laughs) That was like her whole Uh deal. Uh, So I don't think being nude was a problem. I think her enthusiasm to be nude might be like, no more footage, more. Um, But yes, what a ludicrous scene. And one of the biggest problems with this movie is when it was over, all I could think about was that sex scene, just because it was the most memorable part for how long that it went on. Depressing, actually. You know, this film is filled with dinosaur attack footage that's fairly gory. And you'd yes. think that it'd be a lot of fun, but the fact that it's all stock footage yeah, yeah. kind of takes you out of it a little bit. And I actually went and looked through like Carnosaur 3 on YouTube, <laughs> and they just lifted full scenes and characters so they could get killed in the movie. I mean, like Jim uh-huh. Wynorski, he famously bought a bunch of stock footage from Columbia 
um, right? including like B footage from Last Action Hero and stuff like that. And he put it in a ton of his movies. And there's a really funny movie called um, that stars Treat Williams. It's like Gale Force or something like that. Right? That has a an action scene that is just the chase from Last Action Hero. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger is driving and the kid lands in the car. Yeah, but it's it's Treat Williams dressed like Arnold Schwarzenegger that they just keep cutting back to. Uh, they even do that like camera move where you know Arnold Schwarzenegger they go off the bridge. Yes, it's like whoa, treat that exact same camera move happens, but with Treat Williams instead. I mean that is amazing. That's, but it, that's hilarious. But that's not hilarious fun in this movie. That's right. It's it's weird that it's not fun in this. Those that's that's what you mentioned. It's funny because it's a kind of thriftiness that we celebrate when we see it in one of those Roger Corman movies from the seventies, right? Yeah. When you see the same car explosion a dozen times, or the same, or you know, the same kind of stunt in a whole bunch of different movies, and we kind of it's kind of an, an we we're a little enamored with that, right? The whole concept of well, you do, you work with what you got, but here it feels like. It's almost like it's almost like thumbing your nose at the audience because who the fuck is going to watch Raptor except for the kind of people who watch these movies anyway? Can you imagine sitting down and watching the Carnosaur uh, quadrilogy, right? And watching the <laughs> movies back to back and then like getting to this one it's like I've seen like half of this movie already and the other half you don't really want to watch. I mean like the thing about stock footage is the ultimate stock footage movie is uh, Hollywood Boulevard, the Joe Dante right. Um, Alan Arkish picture, mm -hmm. where they utilize stock footage in a really interesting kind of subversive way. And the thing about uh, Raptor is that Wynorski is using the footage in the cheapest kind of, like you said, money-grubbing way possible. Yeah, it's taking Ugh. a scene from another movie and saying, well, now that's a scene in this movie. It's the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. There's no different context. It's just now here instead I, of there. I honestly think part of it, though, is the energy, though. Like... Uh, like you played that dialogue if that dialogue led into some batshit gore sequence or some crazy action scene then you'd be like oh sure that was funny it was funny they talked that way and now i'm entertained or if the stock <laughs> footage was surrounded by things that were fun or fun or didn't take itself seriously or whatever but like no part of this movie is again not only is that sex scene crazy, but because it was so crazy, it was, for me, almost the most entertaining part of the movie, other than Corbin Burnson. And even then, by the end, I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm done with Corbin Burnson. I don't care about his <laughs> late 90s hip-hop group that he's clearly in. You know, <laughs> Color Me Mad Scientist, or whatever it is. Like, I, think, just, uh... I think he's in a New Jack Swing group, actually. Oh, yeah, that's fair. That's true. I should have thought of that. Liam, it's funny that you mentioned what that dialogue that I played leads into, because what it leads into is the actress in question going into her house, <laughs> stripping down to her underwear, being very frightened for a moment, and then a dog jumping on her. <laughs> well, to be fair, that that actually worked for me, because when they first show her and they show this shape, I thought, that was clearly a dog. Don't tell me they used the dog to represent the dog. Like, I thought we had reached a new low in the special <laughs> effects. And then when it was actually a dog, I was like, oh, okay. That was the only smart part of this whole movie. I love how the dog comes at her, like, 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 pause first in a way that she would have had to have seen yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> well, someone clearly threw that dog. Um, oh, I mean, we've talked about the ending for the most part. It's ludicrous. There's a big military... Um, presence uh, that there is okay I will say one thing uh, one of the actors in this movie Grant Kramer from Killer Clowns from Outer Space is in this movie he doesn't have much to do but there is a part where he gets squashed by a helicopter <laughs> that part is actually made me laugh when I saw it 
I think that might be the best part of this entire movie because it's happening where there's a helicopter starting to crash because because the helicopter pilot got attacked by a fucking uh, dinosaur. I was very confused because the movie seems to indicate there's only one raptor. Yes, it did at some point seem to suggest that, but then there were many. <laughs> like a oh, pile of so many. had a bunch of them in it. So. so he's looking at this helicopter that is like twisting around and starting to crash. And the camera does that. It's like they do the shot where he's looking up and he's like, oh no, so you know what's coming. <laughs> Even though you think he could run to the left or right or backwards and probably avoid getting squashed by the helicopter. Not in this case. He gets fucking, like, squashed. He gets totally fucking squashed by this helicopter. And it's a fine moment. And I wanted to bring it up because it is one of the finer moments in, especially at that part of the movie, where it's just, it's a lot of violence and a lot of shooting and a lot of these military guys saying fuck. Like, it, that seemed like it was gratuitous as yeah. well. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm speaking from the perspective of someone who has a podcast called Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man. Um, and it... No what like it all these guys are interchangeable. They they are as we mentioned already just use the same footage from the previous movie and then it leads up to a final confrontation between Eric Roberts driving some sort of equipment. What would you call that, Liam? Well, a tractor of some sort? It was well it was a tractor, but it's clearly two different tractors. Yes. <laughs> it's clearly two different tractors. Him versus a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Um in a fight, <laughs> which it's more like a sumo fight, right? Because he's trying to push the Tyrannosaurus Rex uh, off of like a um, um, a height. <laughs> yeah. He's trying to push it. Looks it looks like an elevator shaft. It looks like they tossed a, a T-Rex shaft. out of an elevator shaft. Yeah, so that's it. It's a sumo fucking match between a T-Rex and Eric Roberts in a tractor or two tractors that ends with the T-Rex getting pushed down a big shaft. And that is the climactic moment of the entire movie how satisfying did you find that justin well the thing about that particular scene is if i'm not mistaken has appeared in every carnosaur movie <laughs> like the like the tractor versus the t-rex was so good that they had to reuse it over and over and over again so that particular bit of stock footage was kind of like a warm blanket on top <laughs> of me where i was like oh yeah i know that footage <laughs> that's pretty funny um as far as being satisfying no, nah, not at all. Not oh. at all. Ugh. I did like all those scenes, all those like shots of Eric Roberts in the driver's seat just kind of shaking around. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they show him get into this bobcat with a short, you know, uh, uh, shovel thing on the front. And, and I'm looking at it going, well, but you've shown the T-Rex as being so big. Can't the T-Rex just pick that shit up with its mouth? Like it doesn't like he can't actually push the dinosaur with that thing. And then midway through the sequence, it's an entirely different piece of equipment that actually you could push something with. And and then Ooh, that's lucky. Yeah. And, you're, and I'm just watching it going like, oh, they solved the problem without ever actually solving the problem. <laughs> what the fuck is going on right now? Like you could have had the same effect by just showing him get into it and then use the stock footage. We didn't have to have. Two, I think there's actually three separate shots that show you the full piece of equipment he's getting into to make right. sure you know what it is, and then it's not the same thing in the stock footage. As Justin mentioned, there is a stinger at the very end suggesting that Corbin Bernson's character, who gets killed and eaten in a very hilarious way by the T-Rex, he actually has a clone, as does his assistant, that's going to allow him to continue his research. Look for Raptor 2 at some point down the road. Um, let's talk about Eric Roberts, because we've gotten to that. Point. Eric Roberts is ostensibly the star 
of Raptor. He actually has quite a bit of screen time, surprisingly large amount. I thought he was just going to be kind of uh, peppered here and there, but at least for the first half of the movie, he is clearly the focus of the attention. I don't know if he's a very good sheriff. He certainly isn't good at stopping dinosaur attacks from occurring, but we do spend a lot of time with him. What did you think of the performance of Eric Roberts in Raptor? Let's start with you, Liam. Great. Like, uh, I, okay. I, I mean, the here's the words. thing. Bold, very bold words. Well, here's the thing. Great in the sense of um, what I wanted from him in this movie was for him to be ridiculous. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, I didn't go into this wanting the sort of Eric Roberts you get in By the Sword. What I wanted was him to be kind of goofy and silly and whatever. And that's what I got. And the fact that... Uh, the actual movie itself is completely unsatisfying and that everyone else in the movie other than Corbin Burtson is like painful to watch on screen is like not Eric Roberts fault. Like he was just doing his thing. Now, is it his like, a gr- is it like his best performance? Like, no, but I wasn't, I, again, I wasn't looking for him to be amazing. I was like, Oh, this is going to be funny. And he has a few moments that I was like, I can't believe what Eric Roberts is doing right now. So, you know, it was fun. I, I was like, Eric Roberts, that's great. Starting to think you're an Eric Roberts apologist over here. <laughs> oh, wait a minute! I I said I would kill him over Dark Dark Moon Rising, so I, I won't <laughs> well, say that. That one wasn't his fault. Justin, what did you think of Eric Roberts? Um, in I mean, he's Rapsle. very sleepy in this movie. Uh huh. <laughs> like he knows what movie he's in. Like <laughs> I can imagine getting on set and Jim Wynorski being like, "Listen, you have to wear the, these clothes," and they're like, "Why?" Well, if you don't wear these clothes, it's not going to match a special effect. Right. And I feel like the long, dark night of the soul that the actors probably felt when that happened. When they're like, what are we doing? But Eric Roberts, he's a seasoned veteran at this point. Right. He knows what he's doing. So he's going to say his lines. He's not. He's going to act, you know, goofy, but not goofy enough to make him, like, really memorable. I mean, the most memorable thing he does is his daughter... Um, witnesses me? her boyfriend oh, get killed by a dinosaur. And oh, then right! Decision, and then she goes into a coma. <laughs> so Eric Roberts makes a decision. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to play the sound effects of, I guess, is it the, the sound of his daughter and her boyfriend being attacked by the dinosaur? No, it's I a was, different It's a different dinosaur sound. Then how did it match up with the footage? That it didn't. It did. Well, that's because they just played the same noise that they've been playing the whole movie. Right. Because as you know, when you have a traumatic incident and you can't get over it, you just have to relive it over and over again until you just snap out of it. That was funny. I wish, yeah. the, I wish more stuff like that happened in the movie. Yeah. That one was particularly ludicrous. <laughs> I mean, I guess the idea was that they didn't know what that sound. Because remember the guy at the at the facility, like the high tech facility that just looks like an abandoned power plant. They yeah. hear that noise, and he's like, "Oh, it's pipes." <laughs> pipes. So they're technically they're only testing out their theory, but then they don't really like. They just ignore the fact that they don't know what that sound is, and then they were like, "Yeah, that was the right thing to do. I was smart <laughs> to do that." Well. We're, we're to that point. Uh, let's start actually with you, Justin. Is Eric Roberts the fucking man in Raptor or not? <sighs> Ooh, it's hard. Yeah, I mean, he's not given much to do. It's Eric Roberts. I like to watch him on screen. Like, if you ask me, like, remember that really memorable moment in Raptor? <laughs> I'd be like, ooh, uh, I guess. I mean, Eric Roberts is there, right? He knocks the dinosaur off into the what looks like an elevator shaft, and then the little dinosaur model falls. <laughs> as far as an actor, I mean, <sighs> Yeah, well, he's the fucking man. 
is he the fucking man in this movie? I, I can't say that he is. That's that's fair enough. I'm I'm under the impression I'm going to forget that I ever watched Raptor in yeah. about like two days. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just it just it, and that's not his fault. It's just the fault of what this movie. What the, what this movie wants to be. It wants to be forgettable. It wants to be on the Sci-Fi Network in the middle of the day and be like, oh, I watched that, and now it's over. Hey, it's Eric Roberts. When I Leo started McDonald. watching the movie, I didn't know all about the stock footage stuff right away. Right. But during the credits, it said, music by James Horner. I'm and glad I, that you brought that up. And I, was I went, just oh, no. <laughs> no! Now, for those who don't know, James Horner, a very well-respected and beloved uh, uh, composer who unfortunately passed away just last year, um, he did the music for the first Connor Carnosaur, and this just uses the same score. Did he do the music for the first Carnosaur, or is it did he, or is it just stock again? Yeah, I don't know. You might be right, actually. Yeah, because I don't think it's on his IMDb listing. But it's it's. <laughs> Let's just make one thing clear: James Horner did not sit down and do the soundtrack to 2001's Raptor. Nope, <laughs> that did not happen. Liam O'Donnell, Eric Roberts, the fucking man, or no? It's 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 hard. If Corbin Burnson wasn't in this movie, Eric Roberts would be the man as being the only competent person on screen. The and man I would, by default, my favorite. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, in the sense of like, okay, someone had to hold, someone had to show up and do work in this movie. But Let's say the words. But it was it was but it was uh it was Corbin Burnson more than him. So the fucking man. Yeah, I still got to go with yes. I still got to go with yes because, um, but that might just be because the bar was set so low that it was pretty easy for him to clear it. Liam O'Donnell, I admire a man with conviction, even if that conviction is flawed. (laughs) Uh, I unfortunately, I feel like there's, I don't even know where that goofiness you're talking about happened. Yeah, I I really want to know the scenes that Liam was talking about. (laughs) He seems to be playing it pretty fucking straight uh and that's i wish he was being a goofball i wish he was being a weirdo because that would really help me kind of admire the performance a little bit more as it is he's kind of sleepwalking through it i can't say that i recommend either raptor or eric roberts performance in it i'm gonna say he's not the fucking man just this once just this fucking oh man i know i know it's unprecedented we're gonna take our final break and when we return we're gonna talk a little with justin we're going to do a little housekeeping, and we're going to say good night. Join us after this. Episode number 26 of Eric Roberts is the Fucking Man, featuring By the Sword and Raptor. I want to thank our extremely special guest, Justin DeClue, for coming in and talking about these two amazing movies and choosing them for us to watch. Justin, uh, you're someone that I've known for a number of years. This is actually the longest we've ever had an opportunity to have any sort of conversation before. And what a joy it's been. Can you tell us about your podcast and what other work you're doing at the moment? Uh, So my podcast, I have two of them. I have one called Loose Cannons that I do with my friend Matthew Kumar, where we're going chronologically through the filmography of canon films. Oh, yeah. 
Yes. And you're probably like, oh, that's exciting. You're going to do like um, Chuck Norris films and Charles Bronson. Well, my pal uh, Matthew decided that we're going to start at the beginning of canon films. Oh. So for the last, ooh, uh, I think, 40 <laughs> six episodes we haven't even gotten the golden and globus section that is amazing so what we've been watching is a lot of sexploitation films so you can listen to us talk for an hour and slowly go insane over 47 episodes (laughs) and i have a second podcast called the important cinema club with uh my pal will sloan and that's more of you know two uh laid-back dudes just talking about uh um kind of auteurist kind of stuff. Like we just did an episode on Pauline Kale. We've done an episode on um, Marlon Brando uh, and Choi Hark. We're just all across the board. Nice and short, 32 minutes, not too taxing. And um, other than that, those are my podcasts. Justin, did you recently get an opportunity to meet Donnie Yen? I did meet Donnie Yen. And how was that? Um, A lot. You know what? He was about what I expected. You know when you meet your heroes? <laughs> oh, I know it, man. I know. Um, he was very nice. Uh, a little bit, you know, kind of dull because it was in front <laughs> of a crowd and he wanted to sh- have the best image. Uh, but he shook my hand backstage and we sure. took a photo together. And I got to say, I really love your directorial film, Legend of the Wolf. And he went, thank you. <laughs> and then we took a photo. Will said that he shook his hand on Twitter, and I replied, when does the cast come off? Which I thought was the funniest fucking thing that anyone could ever say. <laughs> but, like, it was... Donnie Yen, fucking... short guy. <laughs> I bet he's fucking short. Terrible. You know what? I've declined opportunities to uh, meet some people I massively respect, just out of fear. And, I mean, you had a perfectly reasonable experience, but out of fear that it's going to somehow ruin my ability to enjoy anything they do in the future. But it is weird to think that someone who is so massively talented and has been so exciting in so many movies could could be described as dull. Well, like, he started his Q&A with, like, I'd like to thank God for all the work that I've been doing. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see how that would be a reaction. Like, you know what? He was really nice. And once he got into the anecdotes about talking about injuries and stuff like that, and at one point he said... I am in so much pain 24-7 I cannot sleep. And when I'm lying down, I have to keep my arm extended and on a pillow because that's the only way that I can make the pain tolerable enough to, you know, pass through the nights. Well, I'm glad he's getting some of that Star Wars money. Yeah, (laughs) I mean, he deserves it. He's a creative guy. I love him as a director and as an actor and as a choreographer. Like, he does really interesting stuff. So, cool guy. Justin, if people want to follow the work that you're doing, what's the best way for them to do so? Outside of, of course, the uh, the podcast uh, individual sites. Um, well, they can <laughs> they can follow me on Twitter. I think my, my handle is DeCluj, D-E-C-L-O-U-X. And I also run a um, screening series at the Royal Cinema called the Laser Blast Film Society. Oh, yes. So we have a uh, Facebook page you can join. And what we do there is it started off as uh, me and my pal Peter Kaplowski wanting to Former Take, guest on Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Yeah, on the um, a talking cat episode and Halloween dog. <laughs> and we started it with wanting to show kind of like movies that were never meant to be seen in the cinemas. If you don't right. live in Toronto, the Royal is like a nice cinema. It's um, they do post production there for like big Hollywood movies. It's beautiful. It's I saw the raid two there. Uh, that was the first time I'd ever been in the Royal, and I was and it, I was the middle of the day, and it was like almost no one was there. But it was so gorgeous, and it was so nice just to be sitting in a really nice looking cinema. So we decided to show movies like Tim Ritter's uh, Truth or Dare of Critical Madness. 
<laughs> and um, others. What did we show? We showed Winter Beast. We showed The Carrier. We showed Hawk Jones. We showed a lot of PM Entertainment movies to paying audiences. <laughs> this massive cinema. And we're kind of moving away from that a little bit more. Like we did an evening of like Wakaliwood films where we had um, a guy who starred in the movies and the director did a Skype Q&A. We um, did a co-presentation with another screening called Neon Dreams. We showed um, Shakedown on 35 millimeter mm -hmm. and got the director James Glickenhouse to do a Q&A. And so we're doing, it's just kind of like eclectic cinema. And I don't want to toot my own a horn, but I actually helped with an intro to a recent screening. Oh, you did? Yeah. For the screening of um, Eyes of Fire. Yeah, the, which we got Rob Paulson, the famous voice actor, was nice enough to film an intro just talking about his experience and how much he loves Toronto in it. What a great guy Rob Paulson is, by the way. Really super nice. Yeah, just to record an intro for... This is the thing about like Laser Blast Film Society is we tell a lot of the filmmakers we're showing their movies and they go, oh yeah, that's nice. And I assume that they think we're showing it in like the basement of the bar. <laughs> <laughs> but like this is a legitimate theater <laughs> that we get to show these movies in so uh that's really exciting that's the other thing that i do so if you follow laser blast film society we also have a twitter laser blast film society um uh, at and uh you can get updates there as well and if you're in toronto of course attend the royal cinema one of our most beautiful and most respected repertory cinemas liam o'donnell this is hardcore fest rapidly approaching <laughs> yeah that's true <laughs> When is that happening again? Uh, August. Uh, <laughs> I'm the worst. August 6th, 5th, 6th, 7th, and 8th. August, very soon coming up. But before that, you are getting married. I am. Now, you'd like to invite, I'm sure, all of our listeners to attend. Yeah, everybody, come on out. What if Eric yeah, we'll... Roberts showed up? Now, this is a good question. Uh, I would beg him to hug me. Is that awkward? <laughs> would you beg him to pay for the fucking thing? Oh, my God. <laughs> It would cost to get Edgar uh, to get Eric Roberts to show up to your wedding. This is a really excellent question. I don't actually know because I don't. Is he a uh, is he a uh, convention guy? He, he is. Doesn't... Yes. Oh my yes. Oh really? I don't know. I don't do conventions, so I have no idea who is and who is not on that circuit. I, I assume Doctor Who conventions. I assume if you're a convention guy, then you'll do whatever for money. So I could probably get him out at at, at Liam Rules L I A M R U L Z on Twitter. And Cinepunks.com. Cinepunks.com. Liam is sick of recording this. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just we're so off. I'm like, let's get back on it. Let me All plug. Right. I'll plug. Oh, please plug. I might have uh, to go yeah. poop, so, you know. All right. I know, I know you do. Um, and, of course, yes, go over to Cinepunks.com, soon to be revamped. Uh, and, of course, I'm Doug Tilly, at Doug underscore Tilly, T-I-L-L-E-Y, over on Twitter. You can find my writing over at DailyGrindHouse.com, the... Return of No Budget Nightmares will be happening uh, very, very soon. It might actually be up by the time you listen to this episode. We're covering Splatter, Architects of Fear from 1986. Should be a very interesting discussion. And also, we're going to be going bi-weekly with that podcast in the very near future. If you want to find out more about Eric Roberts is the fucking man, which I'm guessing that you do, go over to ericrobertsistheman.com or on Twitter at E-R-I-T-F-M. You can also join the Eric Roberts is the fucking man Facebook group. Just do a search for Eric Roberts is the man on Facebook. But with that, friends, we must bid you adieu. We've talked enough about By the Sword and Carnosaur and Donnie Yen and other shit. So it's time for us to all go to bed and sleep um, for the next two weeks until we record another episode. So I'd like for everyone to say goodnight. Say goodnight, Justin. Good night. Say goodnight, Liam. Peace out. <laughs> and goodnight from me. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. Eric Roberts is the fucking man. If there's anything that you can do, Eric Roberts fucking can.